Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Tomorrow, the government will be introducing the provincial budget for 2023. Now, budgets generally speak to a government's uh, priorities. Um, and, of course, there'll be endless debate on the, the dollars the government will be spending, how much went to health care, education, transportation. Uh, there's never enough dollars to placate all interests. And there'll be many other programs that uh, are invaluable programs that should be uh, funded as well. So it's a constant debate. And there'll be extensive coverage of the budget tomorrow as well, including the finance minister, joining us on this show. Our next guest will also be at the budget lockup and he just won't be looking at the budget numbers, but he'll be looking at budget 2023 for what he calls generational fairness. Joining me now is Dr. Paul Kershaw. He is the founder of Generation Squeeze. He's also the director of the Master of Public Health program at UBC's School of Population and Public Health. Uh, Dr. Kershaw, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, What are you looking for in tomorrow's uh, provincial budget? Well, at Generation Squeeze, we want BC to work for all generations. So we go looking at a budget asking, is it planning for all ages? Is it following what I call the generational golden rule, treating other generations as you would want your generation to be treated? And effectively, is it aiming to invest in well-being from the early years onwards? That's what we're looking for. And in anticipation of that, we've actually gone and done a bit of a retrospective, like what's been the pattern since 2017 when the NDP came to patter, came to power. And it's interesting to to sort of see the data and then see the language, and they're not always aligned. Uh, when you say not always aligned, what are you broadly seeing? Well, I think that we definitely, we have a new premier. So, you know, the record that I'm talking about is not the responsibility of the new premier. It's only been there 100 days, and like freighter, it's hard to turn around in a short period of time. So there's lots of good announcements, the housing affordability, $10 a day childcare, addressing poverty, including in the downtown east side. But when we actually crunch the numbers from 2017 onward, we can see that under the NDP government, we have increased spending per retiree, so somebody over 65, 80% faster than we have for those under the age of 45. Uh, each retiree on average has gained an extra $4,600 in spending from the NDP government compared to 2600 bucks per person under 45. And that's a really interesting stat. It's actually unfortunately not a stat that parliamentarians get a lot. Um, the, our, our budgets don't break the numbers down this way, and so that's why, you know, at my lab, we do that each year. But I'm hopeful that actually in future years with Premier Eby, he'll, he'll be uh, tasking the finance ministry to actually crunch the numbers a little bit differently so we can ask the question, are we investing urgently for young and old alike? Uh, when you say uh, per retiree, I think it was $4,600, what are the sort of the one or two big things that add to that number in your mind? Uh, yeah, it's disproportionately uh, medical care that's driving that. You know, we need to recall that in British Columbia, about uh, 20% of our population is over the age of 65, but that demographic consumes 47% of our medical care spending. Uh, that's not unsurprising. Our care needs increase as we age, and, we, and they become more complex. I think what's more complicated is that in British Columbia, citizens and our governments rarely talk about whether today's aging population paid enough taxes earlier in their working lives to cover the use of medical care they want to use now. And the spoiler alert is on that front, 
the answer is no, that our system wasn't set up for today's aging population, the baby boomers, to like prepay back in the day for what they want to use. They paid for the retirees that were around when they were young workers. But back then, there were uh, about um, seven workers for every retiree. Now there are fewer than four. So another way of looking at it is when baby boomers were you know, young and starting out as workers, they were, they were paying about 5% of their taxes towards the medical care for retirees. If you flash forward to today, you have young people paying 10% of their taxes towards the medical care for retirees. Hmm. You know, is that bad? Is that good? You know, it's an open question, but we don't talk about it in those kinds of details and bringing that age lens into the conversation enough, I would argue. Uh, and, uh, and I get where you're coming from. I think our listeners are saying, okay, well, I, I get the point, but the system is set up that we take care of the elderly because they paid into the system and took care of the elderly before them. That's how the system works. What is the solution to that? Is it just um, uh, greater program spending for a younger generation, or is it about actually increasing the amount of workers we have, which would be even more immigration? I think we're about to hit 500,000 in 2025. Uh, We used to debate 225,000 in the 1990s, so a significant amount of immigration is already coming. So how do we fix this in your mind? Is it just greater reliance on more immigrants, or is this going to be about specific programs? Well, I suspect it's going to be both and, not either or. And I think it, it really, though, requires our having this conversation. So, you know, we, we are talking more and more about immigration. We're bringing in those immigrants largely because we need to address the demographic reality. We used to have lots of workers per retiree. Today, we don't. Um, and, pardon me, we used to have lots, yeah, lots of workers per retiree. Today, we have fewer. And so we're bringing in immigration to address that. Interestingly and unsurprisingly, immigrants then want to settle in our cities, and that's one of many factors that's contributing to increased demand for housing and then exacerbating housing uh, unaffordability problems for a younger demographic, although interestingly, contributing to the kind of housing price inflation that does make an older demographic who are homeowners typically more affluent. And so I do think that there are moments when the affluence that's been gained from our, our housing wealth is one place where we can ask that older population, hey, we didn't give you the chance to prepay for the medical care you want to use. Could we think about in innovative ways for those with housing wealth means to draw on that now to pay for the medical care for their demographic? So we leave ample funds available to invest in $10 a day child care, reduce poverty for a younger demographic, and, um, and think about a, a broader range of uh, deeply affordable housing options that we can make available to younger folks who are really struggling. Are, are we there, though, for that, there yet for that conversation? What I mean by that is I've, brought up, uh, you know, those types of issues, different programs, different segments that we've done. Um, even, you know, at one point I think we brought up the issue of the homeowner's grant, which I said is bad policy, but very popular policy that's been around for uh, generations. And the calls we got were predominantly, uh, I would say, boomers who just thought I was a stupid for even ever recommending that. Uh, it's very difficult to politically do what you're saying, though, is it not? Because boomers vote. Uh, boomers have uh, obviously the right to ask for programs that they want, uh, that the younger generation perhaps isn't demanding a lot of the things that you're talking about as of yet, or not putting enough political pressure on the political class to move forward on some of those. Well, we know that politics responds to those who organize and show up, and so it behooves a group like Generation Squeeze to you know, work with young and old alike to create political cover for our politicians to courageously respond to the data. Mm-hmm. But what we don't yet have is actually our bureaucracy isn't at this moment going to be feeding into the budgeting process that will happen tomorrow and saying, hey, look at this age gap in the spending. Look at how we're investing more in treating illness 
after people fall sick rather than investing in their well-being to slow the flow of sickness into the hospitals in the first place. Look at the deaths that we're growing because we're not balancing this. We're not raising enough revenue to cover the medical care that we're wanting to offer to today's aging population. And that then then crowds out future investment for younger demographics and later on generations. We need our budget to provide that information. And then reasonable people will disagree about, you know, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? The current trajectories. But if we don't actually have the data coming from our budgets, then it's really hard to create the public dialogue to help bring your listeners on a path where we can say, hey, older folks, we know you want to leave a proud legacy for your kids and grandchildren. There are some reasons that the research is telling us we should be worried about that. And uh, let's think about what we can do to adapt now so that you leave that proud legacy and your kids and grandkids get off to the best start possible. I mean, it's, it, one could argue it's, it's not as black and white, that government is starting to recognize some of those issues. I would think, I would argue uh, that younger generation has made housing front and center now from the municipal level, provincial and federal in regards to dealing with this challenge. You brought up the issue of, um, of daycare uh, and the fact that $10 a daycare does pay for itself and we need to, for parents to be able to work uh, and that, those spaces to be there and to be affordable. So, uh, I mean, it, would you argue that perhaps government is getting to the point where it is listening now more and more than perhaps uh, 10 years ago? I think that we are making some headway, absolutely. And even despite the headway that the NDP government has made with regards to housing affordability and their 30-point plan, the $10-a-day childcare investment addressing poverty on the downtown east side, even still, we have this pattern of them growing spending on an older demographic much more urgently. And that is the under-discussed piece about the housing crisis that we've been talking, pardon me, the medical care crisis that we've been talking a lot about these days. Part of the problem is that we... Um, we not only have a challenge with family, physicians, et cetera, that we've talked a lot about, but we do have the aging population, and we didn't, we didn't adapt our system decades ago to recognize what that pressure would be putting on our budgets. And so now with the, the, the challenges have come home to roost, so to speak, and they are resulting in larger deficits a lot of the time for their kids and grandchildren, crowding out other kinds of investments that could happen more urgently. I think most of the population still doesn't have really doesn't have the chance to know this information. And so I think it does behoove this kind of radio conversation, work from my lab at UBC and groups like Gen Squeeze, but also our bureaucracy. We need our bureaucrats to present budgets that then give these talking points into the briefing notes that media will talk about on the day of the budget. And I think that can help create the dialogue. Well, I can say uh, the premier, technically, correct me if I'm wrong, is a Gen Xer. So we've, we I think it's our first Gen X uh, uh, premier. Uh, maybe that's part of the change that you're talking about. But it'll be very interesting in regards to what he has to say and what uh, is actually provided in tomorrow's budget. So I look forward to chatting with you soon about uh, the specifics of, of what uh, the government announces. Thanks for your time today. My pleasure. Happy to join after I come out of the lockout tomorrow.